0: it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is.
1: In scripture, it says that Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw God, and he saw Jesus standing next to his father, looking at him which was confirmation that in this moment, when Stephen is dying, he saw Jesus. And that was exactly what I needed to hear so that I could know that when whatever was happening to Molly, that she knew that he was with her and that in an instant from the moment she was alive to the moment she died, she was in the arms of Jesus. And and that's what I carried with me to help quiet the fears that would come up in my mind, she wasn't alone. He was with her in that moment, and she has been with him ever since that moment.
2: Doxology Bible Church is proud to present EverStory, launching wherever you listen to podcasts on June 6th. Every story is a weekly, seasonal podcast featuring Christ-centered stories of hope and transformation told by people just like you. No chit-chat, just raw, powerful stories. Stories inspire us to connect with each other in real, tangible ways. With stories, we're able to glorify a God who relentlessly pursues us. Mark 16.15 tells us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Stories embody who we are as Christians. Without them, Paul's letters would have never been shared. Without stories, a person with Christ in their heart might never find the courage to bring the word to their neighbor. Without stories, the Great Commission never occurs. Check in with us often as we introduce stories about the way Jesus' radical love is moving in truly awesome ways. Find every story wherever you listen to podcasts. Also follow doxology bible church on facebook or instagram at doxology bible want to share your story or know someone who might send us an email to stories at doxology.church because everyone has a story
0: hey it's chris freeland and you're listening to the doxology bible church podcast If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is.
1: Hey, good morning and welcome to Doxology. I'm Jay, I'm one of the pastors here and so glad to have you with us on this Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to those who are dads, spiritual fathers, mentors, grandpas, or father figures serving in that role in the life of others. We want to celebrate you today, knowing the importance that God puts on the role of dads, and yet the extreme challenge that it is. For all of us, we're doing it imperfectly. We admit that, right? And there's no shame in that. In fact, that's all the more reason to draw near to the Lord for strength and wisdom for this task. Your effort and your desire is worth celebrating this morning. You know, on a Father's Day, I realize that for some, this morning could be a hard day as well whether that's because of a desire to be a father that hasn't happened just yet, or because of an imperfect and damaging impact of an earthly father in your life. Thanks for the courage to be with us. We're praying this morning you sense your heavenly father's comfort and pleasure on your life. Last week, we started our series called No Regrets as we walked through the book of 2 Timothy. Brian did a great job reminding us that a life of no regrets for Christ means a life of risk a life where we regularly are sensitive to his spirit and taking risk where he leads. I hope you have the chance to take that step to ask someone, what role does faith play in your life? It's a great way to, to hear more of their story and let God do what he does. And this week, we're going to continue our look at 2 Timothy by looking at chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. As I think about regrets in my life, I can't help but think back to conversations I've had with my parents and instances in my life growing up where I just became complacent. Those are the regrets I think about first. My dad and I uh, have had conversations of looking back on some of those challenges that they had raising me and my brothers. And at this point, he's able to laugh, but it wasn't funny in the moment. One of my favorite moments is uh, a time in high school when my brother once wrote on the outside of his school binder, no D's and F's this semester. See, the academic standards in our house were (laughs) extremely high. Uh, Whether that's in a sporting event, though, a class or a friendship, often some of the biggest regrets we have are when we stop giving effort, when we get complacent, when we stop showing faithfulness. Why can complacency be such an alluring temptation to us? Why do we fall into this trap that we later regret? It seems that for some, we fear that we don't have what it takes. We worry that, that we would fail. So instead, we don't give effort to guard against that confirmation of our fear that we are a failure. For others, we get distracted from the priority. We don't mean to fall into complacency. It just happens as we set our eyes elsewhere on other things or people and take them off the main thing in our lives. Others get anxious about the outcome and what would happen if we accomplished the task. Would more be asked? Paul's second letter to Timothy is about encouraging Timothy and the way he should live to avoid regret. And today we'll see a command from Paul that's aimed at helping Timothy and us avoid the temptation of complacency and the regret that could come with it on down the road. This week we're going to see Paul warn Timothy of a danger that we all face, the pull to avoid the life Christ calls us to. In essence, the danger of complacency. So take a look at 2 Timothy 2 verse 1. He says this, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In chapter one, Paul mentions Timothy's tendency to be timid. Here, Paul is commanding Timothy to be the opposite. He says, be strong. Now, this command calls for an ongoing response. It's not a one-time thing, so it could be phrased, keep on being strengthened. But notice where he is to find his strength. I love this, because telling someone who's prone to timidity to be strong reminds me of one of my biggest fathering fails. Years ago, one of our boys would wake up in the night and he'd be scared. He'd come to our room. He'd wake me up. Uh, He'd say, Dad, I'm scared. I'd be tired and still half asleep. So I'd walk him back to his room and tell him there's nothing to be scared of. And then I would sneak back to my bed and be surprised and a bit frustrated when he came back a few minutes later saying he was still scared. You know, telling someone who's scared not to be is about as useless as telling someone who's timid to be strong, unless that strength is anchored in something or someone else. Instead, Paul anchors the command to be strong in God's grace. In other words, God does the empowering, so our responsibility is to submit to his work and to cooperate with it. Don't miss the irony of the command be strong in God's grace, which is a recognition of our weakness and our unworthiness. That's what grace provides for us. Paul's saying, be strong in your weakness because this strength is rooted in Christ, not you, Timothy. This morning, some of us might be trying to do everything on our own, trying and failing to conquer sin, parent faithfully, share truth with others. And we get discouraged and feel burnt out the good news God reminds us of is that that's not Christ's invitation for us. That's not the type of life he invites us into. Here's our first point this morning. When it comes to avoiding complacency, the first step is to think rightly about life with Christ and to remember complacency is avoided as we draw on the grace of Christ. Places he is avoided is we draw on the grace of Christ. See, life with Christ is not something where we come to Christ by grace through faith and then are expected to live the rest of our days through our own effort. Instead, we're reminded by Christ that apart from him, we can do nothing. Elsewhere in scripture, it says that just as we receive Christ Jesus the Lord, that's by grace through faith. So walk in him. As Christians, we should continually be growing more and more dependent upon Christ in everything that we do. But what does that look like? few years ago I got a kite out and I was playing around with it in our front driveway and one of our boys wanted a turn trying to fly it so we pulled it down we gave it to him and he would try to manipulate it try to get the kite up in the air by throwing it through his own efforts or just running and hoping that it would take off he became frustrated that despite his best efforts the kite wouldn't fly so we walked to a different spot where the wind was stronger and I talked through our role to get in the right position so that the, the wind is able to do what it does and lift the kite up. See, that's the picture here. Timothy, get in the right position, Paul's saying, so that the grace of God can empower and lift you up. That's our encouragement as well. It says, don't worry about your gifts, your skills, not measuring up. Be strong. But be strong in your dependence on Christ and let him and his grace do all the heavy lifting. This frees us to avoid complacency because we don't have to be fearful that we won't measure up. We don't have to be fearful that the task won't be accomplished because it's through Christ's grace that it will. It's through Christ's grace and his work in our lives, not our own. We don't have to worry that we'll burn out because Christ's grace will continue to fill us with all that we need for life and godliness day after day after day. Verse 1 shows us how to accomplish the task. In verse 2, we see what the task is. Take a look at what he says. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will be able to uh, teach others also. So the task is for Timothy to take what he's heard and to entrust it to others. But what are those things? The truths of the faith would be the subject Paul has in mind. Who Jesus is, what he's done, our proper response by faith, and the hope that awaits us in the future. Those things Paul continued to teach and instruct everywhere he went. And he gives them to Timothy, and he gives this command to Timothy now to take those things, to pass them on, to share them with others. The command is to entrust them. That word in trust that's the same word we use for a deposit that we would make into the bank. The idea is to take those truths and to place them with others who are dependable and faithful to pass them along to other people as well. This means in the home, fathers and mothers, uncles and grandparents, sharing of Christ's power and his goodness to the next generation so that early on in their lives they can have concepts about who God is. This means in community groups are a place they're gathering together and we're able to share with one another of Christ's work in our lives and encourage each other in seasons of discouragement of the future that awaits us with him. This means in the neighborhood, not just being friendly on your block, but being intentional, asking that question we heard last week, what role does faith play in your life? And here's the powerful thing about this passage. See, we see four generations here. We have Paul teaching Timothy and faithful witnesses who are to entrust to reliable people who would then teach others also. For so many of us, we come up with all the reasons that we can't do this. We're not the right person. We don't have this calling. But we all are called to do. We're all called to share the story of who Christ is and what he's done. And we all can do that. For each of us who have experienced life change with Jesus, the command is merely telling our story of what he's done in our lives. That's the task we're called to never get complacent doing. So who are you looking to share your story with? To pass along what you have come to know and experience of Christ. For many of us this morning, perhaps that's the the place to start. Who are the people that you are entrusting the truths about Christ and helping them to understand them and pass them on to others? That's where I love Brian's challenge for us last week, because each of us should have people in our lives that we're seeking to talk to about the impact Christ has had in our lives with the clarity for what Paul wants Timothy to do and how Paul now gives three everyday examples that serve as kind of a warning that that remind us of the pattern that can show up if we become complacent in our walk with Christ. Take a look at verse three through seven with me. It says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier, of Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. See, first Paul mentions the soldier as an example. The soldier has a tunnel vision focus on the command that would not let his energies or his interests divert him from his primary responsibilities. Perhaps for us, we can get complacent in our relationships, not wanting to offend or make things awkward, so we never get to spiritual things. Paul says live like a soldier with an eye always on the priority, always keeping in mind this strength is anchored in God's grace, not ourselves, and our own efforts to bring change or new life into someone else. So we see the soldier. The second example he shows us is the athlete. A Roman historian named Pausanias stated this, competitors at the Olympic Games had to swear an oath that they had been in strict training for 10 months, 10 months before they would compete. Once again, this is about diligence and faithfulness and endurance over time. This isn't a quick check off the to-do list. So how do we know if we're living in complacency in our walk? Well, sometimes it's through an unwillingness to devote ourselves to time spent with God regularly in his word or in prayer. One of the biggest challenges to that is that we often don't feel like it. We would rather watch another episode of something before bed than spend time in prayer or looking at scripture. I've had those conversations with folks over the years as they worry, what's wrong? I just don't feel that close to God anymore. Eugene Peterson said this, feelings are great liars. Often when we make choices based on what we know to be true or what God has commanded, despite the fact that we may not feel like it, there are feelings later on can catch up. Feelings are like muscles when they atrophy. They can regain strength later on and catch up through exercise and training. Going back to the example of the athlete. You know, most athletes have days where surely they don't want to work out. They don't want to eat right. But to prepare for the season, they have to make the choice to do so even when they don't feel like it. That's what it takes for us when we don't feel like it. Commitment to stay faithful. So we've seen the soldier. We've seen the athlete. Now he brings up the farmer. The farmer. A farmer must continue to sow seed and water it if he or she wants to harvest the fruit. Have you ever grown anything with a kid? Like the the grass seed that their preschool will do? They water it at night and they expect to see something different in the morning when they wake up. Like, where's the grass? I don't see anything. Isn't that what happens when we get complacent too? How often do we do the same thing with ourselves or our community, expecting change to happen overnight rather than showing persistence and diligence over the course of weeks or months or years? See, all three of these illustrations imply persistence and faithfulness. Paul has in mind that Timothy would avoid complacency, not just for a moment, but over a season, over years. He would be giving his life to this task of sharing what he's heard, empowered by God's grace for a lifetime. See, having commanded Timothy to find strength in Christ's grace and continue to raise up others as witnesses of good news, Paul now hones in on the example of Jesus. Take a look at verse 8. It says this, remember Jesus Christ, Raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the, the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's a shortened way in verse 8 to refer to the gospel, the good news that Jesus has lived, that he has died, and that he has rose again. He mentions there that phrase that he is descended from David. It's a way to make clear that Jesus was fully man, that he understands our struggles, and now he serves as our mediator. He goes on, he says that he was raised from the dead. It's reminding us that our greatest enemy is death itself. Paul's affirming Jesus has faced it down for us. Recently, I heard Tim Keller interviewed about what he's learned through his battle with pancreatic cancer. One of the things he stated was that if Jesus actually rose from the grave, everything's going to be okay. Whether you're facing death, disease, abuse, poverty, all these things, see, Jesus has the power to overcome and to make right in the end. You want to avoid complacency and live out of faithfulness? Here's the second way we see in the text. Complacency is avoided as we dwell on the goodness of Christ. It's avoided by dwelling on the goodness of Christ, by remembering him. Often we can become complacent in our faith when we forget all that Christ has accomplished, when we forget the depths of our need, as we forget the promise that he has made about our future. That forgetfulness leads us to a life of complacency as we think, hey, we're okay on our own. We get content with where we are because we don't consider the incredible height and depth of Christ's love that saved us. What we need is to remember To remember God's faithfulness, to remember his goodness, his work in the past, knowing that memories of the past can spark greater clarity and endurance in the present. What are you doing to keep the work of Christ front of mind throughout your day? What are you doing to remember all that Jesus has done for you so that the motivation to faithfulness continues to burn hot and bright? For some, it's about their prayer life, being dedicated to gratitude, Meditating on what Christ has done and telling him, thank you again and again for that. Others have moments throughout the year where they get away and they reflect on what Christ has done. What could this look like for you to dwell on God's goodness in your life? Every week in our community group discussion guide, we ask the question, what are you thankful for? One of the reasons we do that is to develop a spiritual memory in us as individuals, but also in us as a community so that constantly we're thinking about Christ's work on our behalf and keeping a spirit of gratitude among ourselves. That's what Paul wants for Timothy. Then in verse 11 through 13, he connects Jesus and what he's done with what it is that he's inviting us to participate in through his grace. Take a look at what he says. Here is a trustworthy statement. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him. He will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. To ensure that they continue to remember Christ, Paul returns to what Christ has done and will do for us. Here Paul quotes a song or a poem from the early church, and he he includes these four couplets. There are things that he assumes to be true of them as they each begin with a first-class if. He says the first one, If we died with Jesus, we will live with him implying eternally we will live with Christ. See, elsewhere he says that we have died and our life is hidden in Christ, that we have been crucified with Christ, is no longer we who live but Christ living in and through us. He's playing on that. Secondly, he says if we endure, we will also reign. Here Paul talks about this idea of faithfulness and reminds us that faithfulness in this life will be rewarded in the next. He then says, if we disown him, he will disown us. Here we have a warning that for the believer who does not display faithfulness, there isn't a loss of salvation. That's by grace through faith, but there is a disowning or a loss of reward that he's just mentioned before. And then he goes on and he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. The final phrase is a reminder again that should provide comfort for each of us. For there are those moments where we have fallen short, those moments we've been faithless, Those moments where we've made mistakes and missteps, it's a reminder that Christ will still remain faithful to us despite our faithlessness. Christ will not go back on his promises to save us, even though we may fall short of his standard. Christ and his good work both for us and in us continues on. See, your faithlessness does not disqualify you from his grace. In fact, it makes us all the more ready to be recipients of it because we are more aware of our deep need. A few years ago, I caught a Tom Brady documentary and it followed him through his offseason with interviews from family or other players, personal coaches and assistants. And a quote stood out to me, his personal QB coach, a guy who he works with in the offseason about his technique and his throwing motion, said this. Tom doesn't come to me to help him get five percent better. He comes in to get one percent better, one percent better. Now, if anybody has a reason to mail it in and get complacent with his performance, to say, you know what? I think I'm all right. I think I'm good enough. I think I've gotten as good as I can. It would be him, right? He's won like seven Super Bowls. He's been the three-time league MVP. But what's he after? One percent improvement. Let me ask you a question. What would it look like for you and your walk with Christ to chase after one percent growth? to avoid complacency in your walk this year. Paul tells Timothy, this life, following Jesus, it's all about avoiding complacency and living faithfully for him. And here's the very good news. That isn't done through your own efforts. The life Christ wants for you is one where you draw strength from his grace and you dwell on his goodness for you, remembering it and never get over it. Never get over all that he has done and allow that to fuel you to share what you know of him everywhere you go to everyone you come into contact with. Now, as we come to a close, let me ask you this question. What's one way you can take time to dwell on the grace and the goodness of Christ this week? Here in a moment, Cameron will come up to talk us through next steps and offering. But before he does, I want to share a story of a friend who's seeking to live this out and how it has looked in her life. Maybe her example could help you think about how you can dwell on God's grace and his goodness in your life this week and spur you on to be a witness to others right where the Lord has positioned you. So let's check out Grace's story.
3: Hi, I'm Grace Boggs, and I'm a wife, a mom, a community group leader. I disciple a couple girls, and I do a lot of other fun things in my life, Um, but ultimately just trying to use all of those things to serve the Lord. When I chose to leave my job and be a stay-at-home mom, it was in the midst of a really, really hard season. I had just become a mom, and there were different emotional and mental stresses on me because of that. Um, But ultimately, the way I was able to depend on the Lord and He was able to walk me through that was because I was desperately seeking community to lead me there. And so I think ultimately, He placed me in the community where He knew I needed to be to go through that season of transition in my life. And then when I was there, depending on Him looked like constantly reminding myself that I had people who love me because He gave them to me and that they were going to help me through that no matter what happened. And so it was a journey of depending on the Lord in a way that I've never done before because I've never experienced anything like that um, in my emotional or mental life. And so I'm just thankful that I had the people I needed to get me through it. So there's been a ton of transition in my life, um, and all of them were hard but wonderful for different reasons. So it's just been, I think, You have to change everything about the way you follow Jesus, about the way you serve the Lord. So before maybe I was spending two or three hours in quiet time with Jesus at a coffee shop with an awesome latte and a wonderful friend sitting next to me. Um, Whereas now I am desperate to just be praying while Gray's napping on me. If that's the only time I get, that's the only time I get and I just use the most of it that I can. Right now, my daily focus is prayer. Um, Prayer has been the thing that I just keep going back to, um, along with community, as we've talked about so much. Um, Having the people in my life that I can shoot a text to that says, this is what's hard today, can you pray? Has been so refreshing, because just the act of doing that is submitting those things to the Lord and confessing those to the people who love you and are going to lift you up. And so that's really a huge part of what it looks like for me to strive towards him, even in the midst of all the things pulling me down. I don't think any of us will get to the end and say we have no regrets, right? I think I can probably look back at yesterday and tell you something I could have done better to serve the Lord. But ultimately, I know that when I get to the end of my life and when I get to heaven and I get to see Jesus face to face, He will have no regrets about the fact that He chose to die for me. And that's what matters most because if I can end my day every day leaning on that fact and that truth alone, then it doesn't matter how imperfect or messed up or broken my day was. Ultimately, He's got enough grace to cover all of that.
0: Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church.